Welcome to Practical Access. I'm Lisa Dicker. And I'm Becky Hines. And Lisa, I can't wait to hear what the question of the day is. Well, we were Twittered or tweeted, whichever one you'd like to pick, uh, a good question. Um, what does inclusion mean in an online environment? And I thought, oh boy, that's a loaded question to ask either one of us. So I can't imagine philosophically how we're going to approach this together. Well, yeah, it's it's... Everybody, everybody who's been in the education world, you know, for the last 40 years knows that this is a, uh, inclusion is, it's a, it's a philosophical belief. And so some people believe in it philosophically, honestly, and some people really just disagree with it. So recognizing from the start that, that everybody's going to have different opinions, um, I think that this online environment actually gives us a great way to start thinking more inclusively, even about those kids who we normally would think um, belong, if you will, in another, in another area for some reason. And it's something that I've been tackling firsthand, Lisa, because as you know, I've, I work with one of the... I, most inclusive schools anywhere, 50% of the kids are kids with disabilities and 50% are, are kids who are, are, are typical develop, developing kids. So we face this real time all the time. And when we came to build out our online system, it was, um, it was actually much easier because we already were on board with the idea of giving everyone access to the same thing. So kind of thinking about this from the start, I can talk a bit, a bit about some of the practical things that we've done, but Lisa, philosophically, kind of share what, what you're thinking about what this means. Yeah, you know, Becky, I, I get asked this question all the time, and, and I find that historically we're arguing less and less about the topic of inclusion. Would you agree with that? I don't have to fight the fight of that people with disabilities deserve some equality in this planet that I used to 20 years ago. I hate to say I've been in the field that long, but you know, 20 years ago, I well, used to come on Lisa, you've been in this field longer than 20 years. I know, but 20 years ago, I would stand in front of a high school chemistry teacher and they'd be like, what? Any kid in my room that isn't, you know, an A, you know, an IB student. And, and so I think we've gotten to a different level, but I always use, segregation versus inclusion as my platform. We segregated people by color, we segregated people by gender, and a late, latest NPR story, gosh, it was probably a couple months ago, says that it will take 256 more years for women's salaries around the world to equal men's salary. And so what I think we do know is that when we segregate somebody, when we try to include them later, it takes a long time to play catch up. And I'm not sure why we segregated people with disabilities to start with. Now, I truly believe in the continuum of services. I believe families deserve that support. But to me, inclusion is that I believe kids should have the right to be in the general ed setting if that's what their team wants. And it is a philosophical approach. It's not something we do, it's something we believe. And so I believe, and I've got evidence from decades, for example, a specific school district I work with has 12,000 students and four are self-contained and they're hitting it out of the park in the state because it's in their DNA. As you said, it is part of their practical access. Their UDL, Universal Design for Learning components are already there, and so students not only get what they need, but all the adults come in with them. And I think the biggest struggle we see nationally is what I call school districts sitting on the fence, 
well, I want this group in, but not that group. Well, but that group that is excluded has eight to 12 adults attached to 10 kids. And so on the other side, you say you don't have enough resources. So it's one of those shifts that I think in an online world that we have to think about, did we really push our resources that way? Or did we create those little, little self-contained pods that really is something that we have to battle and think about? But what I'm finding is most districts are saying, because this was so fast, we just open it up to allow everybody to have access. And I was like, wow, isn't that interesting? If we can do it online, what will it look like when we go back to brick and mortar? And I think that's gonna be an interesting change. Your thoughts there, Beck? Well, in, in the case of this, this small inclusive district, because it's not actually just one school, it's, a, it's, a, it's seven schools. Um, here's, interestingly, as, as one of the most inclusive organizations I've, I know of, when it came to the online piece, the first thought was, well, we need, to, we need to purchase a separate curriculum for our kids with significant disabilities while they're home. And we went, you know, we went a little bit round and round about that in terms of, because well, I previewed some of this curriculum. And, it, and I think it's fine, as you mentioned, if a family chooses that because they have a parent at home who can coach their child through it, that's great. Mm -hmm. So I do think districts should make things available to kids when possible, for sure. However, when I previewed some of the materials and the lessons are things like colors, and this particular school system is offering, you know, real-time synchronous chats, my my question was, well, why wouldn't you just give kids access to those chats and experiences at their own grade level within your organization? And when it's time for small group discussions, it's just the nature of what that teacher discusses with the kids that's different. Because that teacher, there were colors on that screen. So if a, if a child is, is visually um, able to see the screen, I can, I can screenshot that or I can hold things up in my real world environment and talk about color. I don't necessarily need a separate curriculum for it. And I think there's a good argument for this kind of real world learning anyway. Mm -hmm. So I just, I, you know, the thing I always encourage people to remember, because in my mind, this is how I think of it. Inclusion was never really about everybody getting the exact same thing from an experience. It was about everybody getting access to the very best we can offer and then supporting kids so they can get as much as possible from that experience. Yeah, it's funny because, you know, we, we went around and around what to even call this podcast because we didn't want the word inclusion because we thought that would make it seem that it was about a specific topic. And we really fell on the term practical access because that's what we believe that children and families, well, we, I will say, I believe you can agree or disagree with me, but we, we, I think both agree, um, and, and we love to bicker if you don't know us well, uh, just ask our doctoral students, don't ever get us in a philosophical discussion, because again, we love that, that banter, but when it comes down to it, we truly do believe everybody deserves access, and we believe teachers de um, deserve to give kids access in the easiest, most practical way, organically possible. And we both think that comes through choice. And I do think that's what we're seeing in these online environments that are do going well, is teachers say, oh, I gave my kids choices of things they could do. And they seem to be able to take that choice, uh, whether they wanna watch A or B or do C or D. And so I do wanna remind us all as we think about inclusion, that we do have access points in every state. But what's funny about our access points, they aren't different. 
So if colors aren't in the curriculum in third grade, colors shouldn't be in the curriculum in third grade for a kid with different needs. It should be about understanding the impact of color in artistic beauty or whatever it might be. Is this painting, did they like it better or this one? That's what I think we gotta keep reminding ourselves is we don't go back to first grade because you're an eighth grader with a lower IQ. We still give kids that experience aligned with what others are learning, but at a simpler level. And I loved your concept of simple language. Yeah, I think what you just hit on there, Lisa, I guess is the thing that, again, as a family member of a child with, with significant needs, um, keeping things age appropriate, I think that is my biggest problem with a lot of the curriculums that I see, is it just, it literally makes me want to cry to think of him on a computer doing something designed for a preschooler um, when I know he's a 16-year-old young man. And he he loves to connect with thoughts and ideas and people at his own age level. Yeah. And I think that's true for all of us. Uh, and I think people at 80 don't necessarily want to learn what two-year-olds are doing. And I don't think two-year-olds are ready to learn what 80-year-olds are doing. And I think we just have to really remind ourselves that, that in this time of change, this, whatever this new normal is supposed to be for however long it's going to be, is that access and choice really should be the goal. And that's what inclusion is about, is kids getting access to their peers, to natural conversation. And not only that, but Becky, my pet peeve at the secondary level is kids deserve to have content specialists. They deserve access to somebody who understands physics, like no special ed teacher exactly. would understand. And that's, that's exactly what I meant. Let's let everybody watch that great physics lesson. You know what? Don't presume to know what any child can get from that lesson and even if they only noticed movement patterns or something so subtle at least he or she had access and we can talk about that in some small group discussions with them afterwards but it is about everybody having the opportunity to get the very best instruction possible in helping them individually gain and learn what they can yeah, and Becky, to wrap this one up, I'm going to put you on the spot. You've been having lots of these, what we're going to call uh, live sessions. Do you have an example of a live session that you might talk about in an inclusive way that has kind of been fun and entertaining that might help them understand what we mean by doesn't matter what the objective is, doesn't matter the age or the IQ of the student, they should have access in an online environment. Do you have any examples from all the fun live sessions that you've already seen going on? Well, I'll give you a very specific example because we just launched a live um, nine to three, what we're calling a channel, but it's really just a stream um, of different, uh, the specialists at, in this school district who all do movement and art and all of these things. It's all integrated um, there, right, Becky? It's all, I'm sorry? STEAM is integrated there, correct? Oh, it's, it's, it's integrated throughout. And so, so we have just a, we're calling it arts and edutainment. So it's a live stream for those kids who don't have something going on during their regular day. And what we try to do is to talk about things in a way that are, um, you know, it's everyday exploration kind of things, some arts and movement kind of things. So there's 15 minute segments. So for example, um, one of my favorite ones from Friday featured one of our students, Lisa, who she did hers by walking across the street to a state park and went on an alligator hunt and she showed real-time alligators in, in one of our local Tell me she's okay. But what she did that was so good, so everybody of any age level is interested in these alligators, and she really did a great job of framing her shots, but she also had a field guide with her 
So she would put the book actually on camera and say, wow, I found this in the book about, you know, Florida. And here's what I read about alligators. So she kind of um, taught a little something factual about alligators. But if somebody couldn't read the book or see the book or hear what she, you know, they could, they got something because there's something visually beautiful on there. And there was something for everyone and your, your highest level learners who were watching that particular segment, I guarantee you they opened a separate tab and were Googling alligators. But for the student who couldn't do that or anything else, he was hearing and seeing something interesting that, that he or she didn't have access to every other day. That's a great example. And again, as you said, IQ, age range almost doesn't matter there. And that's, that's a great example of universal design for learning. Well, I want to have you say the name of the student on camera or on the podcast, but we'll certainly follow up and, and give kudos to her um, for that work. So yeah, well, there was lots of, lots of great work by everybody on there. Everybody did a great job. And we're, we're continuing to stream and, you know, people will hear more about that as we, as we build this out. Great. Well, so just to kind of wrap this up, you know, uh, we both believe inclusion is everybody getting what they need uh, when they need it and that it is a philosophical approach. And we truly do believe that we should be teaching high and giving kids opportunities that are age appropriate in all that they do. So we hope that answers the question you um, sent to us on Twitter. And we encourage you to tweet us at Access Practical with questions that we can continue to talk about on our podcast. Thank you and have a great day.